Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Well, I just want to say happy Father's Day. And uh, I, I think when we celebrate Father's Day, we're celebrating leadership. We're celebrating what it means to raise vision, to, to step out. And we're going to talk about contentment today, a contented new normal. And as I've been thinking about that and praying about it and leading up to this day, I'm thinking of all the things we could have talked about right now with the climate that's going on in our country with, with protests and, and, and COVID-19 and lockdown and all the things that are going on, it, it seems like contentment might not be the first thing in our minds. And I just want us to be sure that as we're gathering together, as our hearts are opening up, as we're preparing, as, as we've worshiped together, as we've uh, sing the, you know, just beautiful words and we think about the faithfulness of God, I, I just think this is true. Where there is no vision, people perish. And, and that translation loosely is literally in the Hebrew, it says, where there is no revelation, people perish. Where where God is no longer being revealed, where people are no longer looking up, they start to look around. And, and I understand that there's a lot of things when we look around that are messed up. In fact, if you look around, instead of looking up, it's really hard to find a place of contentment. It's, it's hard to find yourself in space where life looks okay, where things seem to work out. And I just think as a congregation, as a group of people who are gathering together, as we're celebrating Father's Day, uh, leadership, being a great dad has something to do with helping our kids, helping our family, helping our community look up instead of look around. And so we're thinking about that, talking about that. How much time do you spend thinking about being content? I don't mean how much time do you think about not being content. How much time do you think about the call, the invitation, the desire, the need to be content in the life that you have? Better yet, how much time have you spent in the last week working on contentment? What about in the last month? What about in the last year? How much time have you sat down and just thought about what it would look like, what it would mean, what the challenge would be in your own heart and mind in the middle of COVID-19, in the middle of protests and, and, and unrest in our country, what would it look like to practice contentment? Let me ask you this, is contentment anywhere in your list of personal goals? Is it something you pursue? Is it something you think about? Do you pray about contentment? Do you pray for contentment, for yourself, for others, for your family members? I suppose it would be good to think about what contentment really is. Merriam-Webster defines contentment as the quality or state of being contented. Now, I don't know about you, but that is not helpful to me. In fact, I think it breaks a rule about having the word in the definition or something like that. So maybe we've got to branch out a little. Joshua Becker on a website called Becoming a Minimalist defines contentment this way. Contentment is finding joy in what we already have in our lives 
feeling or showing satisfaction with our possessions, our status, and our situation. It's being happy without trying to find fulfillment in acquiring more things. I think that's a good working definition. Jacqueline Pierce writes these words, Contentment means to be happy with what you have, who you are, and where you are. It is respecting the reality of the presence. It's appreciating what you do, not, what you do have and where you are in life. Contentment does not mean the absence of desire. It just means you're satisfied with your present and you trust that the turns your life takes will be for the best. Something biblical resonating in that writing. There's something biblical about that. In all things, God works for the good. It's about being optimistic that, that you're not, you don't necessarily have everything you desire, but you appreciate everything that you do. Jacqueline continues, Many people today think of life as a race where you must be the best at everything. You might want a fancier car, a bigger house, a better earning job, or more money. The moment we achieve one thing, the race starts for the next thing. Rarely do many individuals spare a minute to just sit back, relax, and be grateful for all they have already achieved. Instead of looking back at the distance they've covered, they stretch themselves to cover the distance that remains. And in some cases, that is when ambition becomes greed. I think that not only is worth thinking about this morning in the middle of all the chaos that's going on, in the middle of celebrating Father's Day, when the challenge is to help people look up, to hear, to see, to understand God's truth in the midst of all, to, to stop looking around. And, and maybe this would be a good time on a Sunday morning to just stop and say, let's, let's stop everything, take a deep breath, and close out that distraction. Stop looking around. There's so much anger. There's so much pain. There's so much accusation. Stop looking around. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added. If we lose that, if we forget that, it is an endless array of looking around. There is always something wrong. And what's true as a culture, as a society, as a world is so true within our own hearts and within our own lives. Take a deep breath. Pierce continues writing, Contentment brings peace of mind and positivity that can facilitate growth and improvement. Hear that? Contentment creates an environment that facilitates growth and improvement. This does not mean you can't have dreams and aspirations. You can accept the present and still wish for a better future. Contentment only means to be at peace with the present, not being complacent. I think those are powerful words. Joshua Becker, uh, in that, uh, on that website, uh, Becoming Minimalist, he, he gives us six ideas, six practices that help us move towards contentment. I think they're worth talking about. They line up with so many things biblically. We're going to jump into Proverbs in a moment. We're going to jump into Proverbs 4, uh, or into Philippians 4. But take a listen to these things. Practice number one, practice gratitude. It's impossible to be content if you do not feel grateful for your life. Number two, take control of your attitude. People who lack contentment often engage as when and then thinking. I, when I get blank, then I will be happy. When I am able to blank, I will be happy. Take control of your attitude. Number three, break the buying habit. For a lot of us, buying just simply means that we are giving ourselves something that pacifies a need that's deeper inside of us. 
resist that. Stop comparing yourself to others. Comparing yourself to others is the, it is the exact opposite of contentment. Number five, help others. When you begin helping others, when you begin sharing your talents and your time and your resources, you will find yourself learning to be content. And number six, be content with what you have, never with what you are. There's a big difference between, you know, the idea that contentment means I am what I am and this is all you'll ever get. It's being content with what you have, not with what you are. Growing, developing is a job, a task for every one of us. We're supposed to keep going, not stop somewhere in the process. Proverbs 30 says these words, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I might have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. I just want us to think for the next few moments about this idea, that, that somewhere in the idea of contentment is the idea that you can have too little and that can mess you up, and you can have too much and that can mess you up. And that somewhere in here there's a, there's a fine line between needs and wants and desires. And I think the Bible steps into that space in a profound way. Let me read you a few things that have come to us over the years that I think are incredibly profound. I'm going to read this to you, and then I'll tell you where it came from. Therefore, the idea of the service of humanity, of brotherly love, and the solidarity of mankind is more and more dying out in the world, and indeed, the idea is sometimes treated with derision. For how can a man shake off his habits? What can become of him if he is in such bondage to the habit of satisfying the inner innumerable desires that he has created for himself? He's isolated. And what concern has he for the rest of humanity? They have succeeded in accumulating greater mass of objects, but the joy in the world has grown less. Powerful words about this issue of contentment. They have acquired, they have succeeded in accumulating a greater mass of objects but the joy in the world has grown less. That was written by Dostoevsky in 1880. Before, before the wave of wealth and materialism hit the world, before industrialization taught us and advertising and credit came into the reality. All the way back there, recognizing that this acquisition of goods, it sort of eats away at our, our happiness in the world, our sense of contentment. Mark Twain there is no such thing as material covetous, covetousness. All covetousness is spiritual. Any so-called material thing that you want is merely a symbol. You want it not for itself, but because it will content your spirit for the moment. Socrates, he who is not content with what he has will not be contented with what he would like to have. Michael Foucault, from the point of view of wealth, there is no difference between need Comfort and pleasure. Let me read that one more time. From the point of view of wealth, there is no difference between need and comfort and pleasure. Just recently in the Washington Post, uh, in the Washington Post, two authors undertook this idea about contentment and what happens to us in our journey and in our life. Listen to what they write. 
The idea that wealth is morally perilous has an impressive philosophical and religious pedigree. Ancient Stoic philosophers railed against greed and luxury, and Roman historians such as Tacitus lay many of the empire's struggles at the feet of imperial avarice. Confucius lived an austere life. The Buddha famously left an opulent palace behind, and Jesus didn't exactly go easy on the rich either. Think camels and needles for starters. Being rich wrecks your soul. We used to know that. I just wonder why a secular newspaper finds it necessary to write such words. And if you're wondering who I am thinking of or who we're talking about when we talk about those who uh, have wealth, because I don't know, uh, as you listen, you'll probably go, yeah, those wealthy people. (laughs) But as we've talked about here before, if you're listening somewhere in North America, you make up 5% of the wealthiest people on the planet. None of us feel rich. None of us feel like we're wealthy, but we do feel discontented. We do feel the weight of that underneath. We, we do look at our lives and so often feel like we're not achieving at the level, whether it's about material things or status or our relationship success. We feel less than. All this leads to to what we most want to understand, and that is the biblical view of contentment. And I think, I think Paul is offering us a clinic on contentment. I, I, I think he's putting together for us uh, something that, that has the ability to sort of transform how we see the world. And in that, I, I, as I think I were wrapping up this series, The New Normal, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to go back to the old way it was. I, I'd like to come through this season... I don't know, this feels a little bit like boot camp. It, it feels like a crucible. It feels like we're, we're going through something. And I'd hate to think that I, I, I went all the way through boot camp and I didn't come out any skinnier or any, uh, I'm not coming out any skinnier, but I, I hate to think that I went through all of that and I'm not stronger or better or wiser or smarter. I don't want to go back to where I was in March at the beginning. I, I, I want to be different and what I'd love is to be renewed. And so as Paul now gives us six encouragement towards contentment, as he describes his own contentment, he wraps it all up in a beautiful metaphor, and he offers it to us to speak into the reality. Let me read to you his words. You can see if you can pick out the encouragements. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity for show it, to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hunger, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. 
And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To God, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. I, I, I see six things that I think are distinct steps towards contentment. And so let's think about them together. Number one, contentment requires a renewed concern for need. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Paul here, the, the word that he uses to, to, for renewed is a, is a word from botany. It's a word about plants. And the word that he chooses is a specific word that means the plant has blossomed again or it has been caused to blossom. So this is what he says. He says, I'm so happy that you have renewed your concern for me, for the need, because here's what's happening to you as a result of that. Something inside of you is blossoming again. Something inside of you is coming to life. Something inside of you is awakening again. Something inside of you is, is coming into life that has been dormant. It's been stuck. It's been in the winter. It's been shut down. And how did this blossoming begin to happen? How did this opening of the soul begin to happen? It happened because you came to a moment of recognizing the need around you. I think Paul understands that, that the more we look around and the more we look down and the more we become introverted and the more we look into our own life and into our own journey and into the things in our immediate world, the smaller our world becomes. The more easily, the smaller the world is, the bigger the problems are, the more easy it is to become discouraged. And Paul says, when you look up and you look at the need around you, you begin to see a whole world and something begins to open up inside you and it begins to blossom as you look up, as you, as you see this revelation of God and the world as it really is. Then something inside you awakens. And that sense of concern and care. And, and I just want to address this head on. Why are we so stingy with our concern for others? We, we spend so much energy trying to figure out who's right and who's wrong. Who said it right and who didn't. The, the last time I checked, the world is broken. The last time I checked, people are fallible. The last time I checked... It, the world at its very best can only sort of emulate justice. It can only sort of emulate the good things. Do we really believe that every single human being on the planet at some point is going to be transformed into, into the, the kind of beings we think are whole and healthy and good? There's still a whole group of people that believe in a flat earth. We don't need to go fix them. We just need to move on. And why are we so stingy? Can't we care about all of it? Can't we care about the African-American community and our police officers who are out there and the government and each other and the judicial system? Can't we want and desire for God's kingdom to come? And can't we care? Can't we care? Can't we do better? The problem is when you open your eyes to need and you start to go, well, I can, I can care about that need and I can care, can't care about that need and I got to care about this need and this measure. And that, listen, that is looking around. We got to look up. We got to look up into a world that is defined by this reality. 
I am your father, and you are my children, and your brothers and sisters are fellow children. And we are to look up, and we are to love each other. And we're to show concern. And when we can do this, when we can stop being angry, when we can stop pointing fingers, something can blossom again inside of us. Humanity, love, compassion. And it is, the, it is the bed, it is the place where contentment is born. And Paul calls it out. I'm not so excited about the fact that you sent me a gift. I'm excited that something bloomed inside of you because you listened and paid attention and you took time out of your busy life to see the need around you. Number two, contentment requires a renewed perspective on circumstances. I, I'm not saying this because I am in need for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul has a very deep concern in mind here. He's writing to them because he, he, he wants, he speaks these words, and he's talked about it over and over in his letters. I don't ever want anyone here to think that I am dependent on what you send me for my contentment. And he's going to articulate this in a broader sense as he continues to make this argument. But the first thing he says is this. I stopped a long time ago looking at my circumstances as if someone needed to rescue me. I stopped a long time ago looking at my circumstances as if I needed someone to bail me out. Listen, I appreciate that you renewed your need. I, I see it blossoming something in you, and that's wonderful. But I want you to know I'm not dependent on you to rescue me. I have looked at my circumstances, and I'm not waiting for some outside circumstance to come in and help me. I got over that a long time ago. I stopped looking for the windfall. I stopped looking for the miracle. I stopped looking for all that stuff. Instead, I have learned to be content where I am. I'm glad you did this. I think it matters. Something blossomed in you. I appreciate it. But I don't want you to misunderstand. You're not rescuing me. Because that's not how I see life. That's not how I see circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. And he's going to move on. He's learned that contentment is related to this renewed perspective. Number three, building on the idea, contentment requires a renewed distinction between need and plenty. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. Paul had experienced the two realities. He knew what they were. He knew the dangers of both of them. He had lived during times when he was hungry and cold and inconvenienced and mistreated and afraid. He had lived all of it. He'd also lived through times where he had plenty. And because he had lived through both, he was able to practice contentment. I wonder sometimes, and now I'm just wondering out loud. I wonder sometimes if part of the reason we struggle with contentment is because very few of us have known actual need. That our whole lives have been filled with plenty. And, and I know... I know that some of us still live paycheck to paycheck. I know that some of us still worry a lot about how things are going to work out. I know that we don't have plenty when it comes to living in this culture and in this world. But I wonder if sometimes part of the struggle with contentment and the struggle with looking up instead of looking around and the struggle with being light 
and the struggle with being joyful and the struggle with practicing real concern for the needs of others is because we get so preoccupied because we've forgotten that there is danger in having too little and there is danger in having too much. And that Paul articulates so clearly, if we're going to ever get to a place of contentment, we're going to have to understand the relationship between need and plenty and the difference between the two. I remind you of Foucault's quote, in the world of wealth, there is no difference between want and need and pleasure. They become the same thing. When you can go on Amazon and just order it and it shows up at your doorstep, even if it's the smallest convenience, we start to lose track of what matters most. And I I don't want this to be theoretical. It's not a lecture. At some level to just stop this morning and say, how content do I feel? How much do I pursue it? How often do I say, God, thank you for how you've blessed me and would you teach me? Will you teach me the beauty of contentment? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Will you teach me what it means to sit down in the space that I occupy and feel grateful for my present? Even though I might long for something in the future, even though it doesn't inhibit my attempt to, to, to create a better world, it doesn't inhibit my attention to paying attention to racism or injustice. I'm not, I'm not talking about accepting that. I'm talking about becoming content in our inner world so that we are creating an environment that is favorable for change, that has a hope of transformation. We're not living through a time of social unrest. We're, We're living through a time of soul unrest. The cure for what's going on is spiritual and how will we, the, the bearers of this message, how will we ever convincingly offer it if we live in a space where we are discontent, where we want to share what we have, but nobody really wants what we have? Nobody really desires to act like we act or say what we say or live like we live or walk like we walk. And so he says, I've learned the difference I've learned the difference between plenty and need. Number four, contentment requires a renewed pursuit of sustainable strength. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Listen, where do you get your strength? It would have been so easy for Paul in this moment to say, I'll tell you what gives me strength. What gives me strength is when the various churches send me money. A lot of of preachers have gotten there. But Paul says, that's not a sustainable source of strength, and I never want to give the impression that that's what this is about. I I, I get my strength from one sustainable source. When my well runs dry, when I'm empty, when my soul aches, when my spirit hurts, I don't go to Facebook. I don't go to Twitter. I'm not showing up on Instagram. I'm not in the fight. My sustainable source of strength is not when somebody tells me I'm doing good work. My sustainable source of strength is not when money fills up the bank account. My sustainable source of strength is not when the doctor says everything's okay. My sustainable source of strength better be deeper and more permanent and more sustainable than all of that stuff. 
Because at some point, I'm not going to be okay. At some point, none of that's going to matter. I know that. I turned 60 this week. I just turned 20. And now I turned 60. And pretty soon, I won't be here anymore. Because that's how life works. And if my sustainable source of strength has something to do with anything, anything, if my sustainable source of strength has to do with which party is in the White House, God forbid that such a thing would be true. If my sustainable source of strength has something to do with the social, cultural climate in which I'm living, God forbid that that would be true. If it has to do with with my finances, if it has to do with my physical health, if it has to do with anything except this one thing, I have learned to be content in all things because I have found a sustainable source of strength in Christ Jesus who calls me his child, who redeems my life, who says that in all things he will work for my good, who asks me this question, if God is for you, who can be against you? Is that, is that what I carry around in me? Is that what comes out of my pores? Is, is that what I convey to my children? God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth be removed, though the mountains are cast into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains shake with their surging... Do you get what the writer's saying? <laughs> He's saying all that stuff doesn't matter because the source of strength is solid and sustainable, and it matters. Number five, I jokingly told folks earlier, you know, last week we set a precedent of going to overtime, so now I guess I can, but I'm not going to. So, <laughs> Number five, contentment requires a, new, a renewed thrill of the gift. A renewed thrill of the gift. Paul says, I'm so glad you did this because I want you to experience what it's like to have the joy of the gift and your gift is a fragrant offering to God. Remember what that was like when you were little? Remember when uh, your, your mom or your dad gave you money and sent you to the store to buy a gift for, you know, if your dad gave you money to buy a gift for your mom on Mother's Day. I, this stands out to me, and I think it was a Christmas we had a, a department store down the street from our house called Gibson's Discount Center. Gibson's Discount Center. Uh, it was Target before Target was Target. And, uh, and my dad gave me money at Christmas to buy my mom a Christmas gift. And I went there and I bought her the most hideous artificial flower arrangement you have ever seen in your life. It, it was uh, some stylized version of pipe cleaners on steroids before we knew what steroids were. It was hideously ugly. And it was in the, the wonderful colors of the 70s, burnt oranges and yellows and avocado greens. And, and I remember that was the most hideous thing looking back. And uh, I was so excited about that gift to give to my mom. And she somehow kept it out for many, many years. <laughs> remember that thrill? That sense that there was something so pleasurable about you, you just couldn't wait 
You couldn't wait to tell. You couldn't wait for the secret. You couldn't wait for the thing to be open. That's the emotion that Paul is expressing. Have, have we forgotten the thrill of the gift? I know in church today, it's, it, it's fashionable to give online. Thank God, it's fashionable to give online. <laughs> I know sometimes in churches, we, we still pass the plate when we're all gathered here. But I know it's becoming more and more fashionable to not pass the offering plate that, you know, we don't want the focus to be there and, you know, just give at the door as you leave or whatever, text to give or whatever. It just seems to me that somewhere we've forgotten that we have a gift to bring that literally has the power to change the world and that there ought to be a thrill in the gift and that we sense that this this is a pleasing offering to God. And I'm not talking about just the simple act of money. Stewardship is about our time, it's about our talents, and it's about our resources. When's the last time that you woke up in the morning and you said, I'm going to offer a gift to the world? I'm going to renew the reality that my attitude and my spirit and my interaction and my words and my demeanor they can change the world. They can change the climate of my home. If I string enough of these days together, I can impact the life of my children. If I string enough of these days together, there'll be something that's called a legacy, a legacy left behind. Have I forgotten the thrill of the gift, the thrill of what it means to believe that what I say and what I do and what I give and how I give matters, that it has significance, that it is, in fact, the power to change the world? that it is, in fact, a fragrant offering to God. What more I beseech you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to Him, which is your reasonable act of spiritual worship. Have we forgotten the thrill of the gift? The thrill of doing something good for someone else? Paul says it's a step on the way to genuine contentment. And finally, number six, and the final one, contentment requires a renewed simplicity of need. A renewed simplicity of need. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Have we forgotten the simplicity of our needs? If I just ask you today to celebrate on this Father's Day the myriad of needs that are being met in your life. The myriad of needs that are being met in an imperfect country in which we live. The myriad of needs that are being met. I, I know we, we have begun to focus our attention on everything that's wrong in the world. Everything that's wrong with the systems. And they need attention. But I don't know about you. <laughs> Maybe there are times we are more distracted But the systems in which we participate in this earth are imperfect and broken, and they always will be to some degree. Have you focused today on the simplicity of needs that are being met? It's Father's Day. We're going to go to lunch. Some of us are going to partake of food that that in any other culture around the world would be considered a feast. And you know what we'll do? Where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? Well, we could go here. No, I went there yesterday. Well, we could get that. I'm tired of eating that. 
There's a whole lot of places in the world where just having food is a really big deal. Have we thought about the myriad of need and the simplicity of what it means? I believe that God will supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus as it's translated. So here's my question. How much time and how much energy have you spent thinking about contentment? I, I, I know we've had all of these weeks and months of confinement and, and there's just a growing unrest and we're getting tense and, uh, and we want masks and they're not wearing theirs. And, no, and now, on top of everything else, we have racism forefront in our country again. Haven't we learned? Can't we get better? But I don't want to come through this period, this season in life and be the same. I want to be sure that I am paying attention to what it means to pray. God, teach me to have a contented soul. Teach me to look up and not around so that I can come to know with all of my heart what this place of contentment. I want a contented new normal as I move forward. I'm going to invite the band back up and we're going to close. God, would you help us? We invite you into this space, into the chaos that is our country, our culture. Lord, we want to be sensitive to everybody in need. We want to take care of everybody. We want to find the balance between listening and understanding and, and being an advocate for change. We want to celebrate those who are first responders and risk their lives for the sake of others. We want reform. We want a world that, that's dominated by something better than politics. We want to find a way in which we stop looking around and we start looking up. And that can't happen for our culture and our world until it happens in us, until it happens in our own homes and in our own families, but most of all in our own soul. Where we're not looking for something else to please us, something else that we need, one more thing, the next thing. We want to find fulfillment in you. And so we're going to close out today and we're going to sing. In this room, we're going to fill this room with the words of this powerful hymn. I, I doubt people will sing it on their couch because it might be super weird. But at least they can hum along. And maybe they could sing the words right out loud. It is the core of contentment. Great is your faithfulness. And we respond to your word and we celebrate it and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.